Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody, even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. Oh yeah, everybody. It's time for the Memes of the Weekend podcast here on the Take It Easy podcast, live as always on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. We've got a great show planned for you today. I get to be loud wrong on the Trey Lance stuff. Also, let's pour one out for Ben Roethlisberger and the absolute shit end to his long, tormenting decline. We can finally put a stamp on the two years of jokes that we dubbed Jimmy Garothlisberger because we can pour one out for the end of Ben Roethlisberger's painful career that extended one game too many because Justin Herbert lost. So we'll get to all that in a second and more. But first, I would like to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. And it was kind of inferred from last week that Pennsylvania football was going to dominate the Memes of the Weekend podcast because they ruined a third of the playoff games this week. The the Steelers at least made that game kind of fun, but they ruined a third of our wild card weekend, which I guess technically we're only 40% of the way through. And technically speaking, the Steelers-Chiefs game was closer than the Patriots-Bills game. But the point being... They ruined a good portion of our wild card weekend with the terrible football that they played. But ultimately, the Philadelphia Eagles and Pittsburgh Steelers lost. You can hear that breakdown over on NFL Monday. The thing I want to laugh at for the Eagles is the Eagles being exactly the team that we thought the Eagles were. The Philadelphia Eagles were only in the playoffs because of tiebreakers breaking their way and winning eight games against sub-500 teams. Eight of your nine wins came against teams that were below 500. Their only really bad loss was to the Giants. Like, the Eagles didn't have the same year that everyone else had, which was just an apocalyptic hellscape of upsets and craziness that, again, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars lost by 40 points to the New England Patriots and beat the Buffalo Bills doesn't make any goddamn sense what happened in the NFL this year. Like, the Jaguars, according to this math, the Jaguars would have beaten the Buffalo Bills by 40 points if they had played in the playoffs because they beat the Patriots and they beat the Bills. Like, none of this shit makes any sense. But also, it makes more sense in my head than I'd like to give myself credit for. The point being, we joked about how there was going to be one game that we skipped because there's just too much football in wildcard weekend. And I kind of skipped the first half of Raiders and Bengals. I was watching, but I wasn't really watching. And then Eagles and Bucks happened. And it was 14-0 in the first quarter. And I said, 
I have seen enough. I walked away and I did not watch the rest of that game. 14-0. I'm like, nope, 14 points is an insurmountable number for the Philadelphia Eagles. Because the one good thing you can say about the Philadelphia Eagles is the Eagles were good at running the football. When they did the introductory stat at the beginning of the game with the Eagles and they put the quarterback up with the Fox graphics, that actually got better this year. We didn't roast the Fox graphics the same way we did in 2020, but they put up the graphic of Jalen Hurts they didn't include any of his passing stats. They had his completion percentage, they had his yards, then they had his rushing yards, and they had his rushing touchdowns because Jalen Hurts led the NFL among quarterbacks in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. And they didn't include the fact that Jalen Hurts was a terrible passer this season. And in fairness to Jalen Hurts, I know we were doing the podcast on Wednesday with Morgan from Australia where we joked about how is Jalen Hurts better than Jameis Winston? And I said you could make an argument either way. Like Jalen Hurts finished the year 16 passing touchdowns, 9 interceptions, had an 87 pass. Oh, sorry, I didn't include the playoff game in there. So uh, he finished the season with uh, 17 touchdowns, two, uh, 17 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, and had the worst completion percentage of any starting quarterback in the NFL. For reference, Drew Locke had a 59% completion percentage last season and got benched for Teddy Bridgewater. Jalen Hurts, 61% completion percentage. Like, Jalen Hurts, not really an NFL quarterback. He's one of these fringe starters who fills a slot only because teams need to fill a slot if you don't have one of the 19 franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. Jalen Hurts is one of those 13 quarterbacks that fills a void for a team that doesn't have a starting quarterback. Jalen Hurts is probably going to be a backup if and when the Eagles ever get a quarterback. The good news right now is that Jalen Hurts for the next two seasons still only makes like $1.5 million for the Philadelphia Eagles. So if you're going to try and build a team without having a franchise quarterback, doing it for with Jalen Hurts' four years, $6 million, now in year two of that contract complete, that's a great way to do it as you rebuild your team. Because the Eagles weren't supposed to make the playoffs this year. But anyways, the point being, the, the one good thing you can say about the Philadelphia Eagles is that they run the ball well. They have a, a, a trio of running backs, and Jalen Hurts was the leading rusher on the team. They can run the football, except Miles Sanders didn't play, and the Philadelphia Eagles were going up against maybe the best rushing defense in the last 10 years in the NFL, in the 2021-2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, that team combined ridiculous ridiculously good at stopping the run. Vita Vea, insanely good at football. And Dominican Sue, generational talent at the defensive tackle position. It's hard to evaluate defensive tackles in the NFL. Like, it's really, really hard to do defensive tackle evaluations. And we know, we know that Vita Vea and Dominican Sue are awesome. Like, we know Aaron Donald's a great defensive tackle. We know Fletcher Cox is a great defensive tackle. Can you name other great defensive tackles in the last five to ten years? Like, your mind starts going down the list, and it's like, well, I guess we have Cam Hayward. He's a pretty good defensive tackle. Like, it's really hard to do evaluations on defensive tackles unless it jumps off the screen. Tampa Bay has two of those guys that it just jumps off the screen. Not to mention Shaq Barrett. $80 million contract extension pro bowler and Jason Pierre Paul, former pro bowler on the other side. Like Tampa Bay is insane, 
insane at stopping the run because they have two generational talents at defensive tackle. Ndamukong Sue from two generations ago, who's still a pretty effective edge rusher, and Vita Vea, who is, again, first-round pick, but defensive tackles don't really go very high in the draft because it's so hard to evaluate them unless they jump off the page. So the fact, like, Aaron Donald was the 13 pick in his draft, and Dominican Sue only went number two because he might be the greatest prospect at that position in the history of the sport. And he lived up to some of the expectation with Detroit and Miami, even if he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, I don't think. And Dominican Sue and the Rams, too. I forgot he was on the Rams for a minute there. And Dominican Sue's been awesome during his NFL career. It's just he hasn't been the greatest defensive tackle in the history of the NFL, which is what people pegged him as to start his career. And Vita Vea was a top 15 pick. I think he was pick 11 in the draft, and he's been ridiculously good. And Tampa Bay, best rush defense of the last 10 years in the NFL, just demolished the Philadelphia Eagles because they had no Miles Sanders and no backup plan for trying to run the football. Because you know what the Eagles did when they couldn't run the football? They just kept on trying to run it, and they couldn't do shit. Why? Because Jalen Hurts completed 53% of his passes through two interceptions, and the Eagles all goddamn season were trying to disguise Jalen Hurts' passing abil- or passing inabilities the same way the Broncos tried to disguise Drew Locke's passing inabilities when they did the Vic Fangio thing where they barely scored six points in a game. Because Jalen Hurts ain't that good of a quarterback. And yet, the Philadelphia Eagles got a goddamn zero-point game. I knew there was a 0% chance the Eagles could beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The same way all the way through, I'm like, there is no chance the Eagles can, or the Steelers can possibly beat the Chiefs, even when the Steelers were up 7-0. No possible way, because the offense can't score enough points. And the Eagles couldn't even put up a single goddamn point against the Buccaneers' first team. They got two garbage time scores, because Nicky Backdoors is going to make sure those over-numbers cash it was 31-0 by the time the Bucks stopped trying. The Eagles did not belong here. We knew they did not belong here. And it should have been the goddamn Saints in the playoffs. And the NFL should have intervened on their tiebreakers to allow the Saints to make the playoffs. Because good God, the Eagles were dog shit. And what's funny, that funnier than anything else, is the Eagles were dog shit in the exact way We said the Eagles were going to be dog shit because the only redeemable quality about them is they can run the football and they couldn't run the football for shit against that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense of Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, and Indomitian Sioux. You know how many rushing yards the Eagles finished the game with? A whopping 80 on 17 carries. They couldn't do shit running the football. By the way, 34 of those yards were garbage time Boston Scott. So if you take out the garbage time Boston Scott yards, it's 16 carries for 60 yards. Less than four yards per carry for the Philadelphia Eagles. Miles Sanders played through injury, seven carries, 16 yards, no bleeping chance. And the Eagles not only got absolutely pummeled in a game I did not watch after the first quarter, they got pummeled in exactly the way we thought they were going to get pummeled. And it's so funny to watch. And it's so funny because I was so right. I was so goddamn right. It should have been the Saints. We should have intervened to allow the Saints to get in over the Eagles because there was absolutely no chance 
the Eagles were going to play, and it was the most predictable outcome possible. The same way the Steelers getting pummeled by the Chiefs was the most predictable outcome. Not the way it, I mean, we did predict exactly how the game would go, which was that the game would be close in the start, then Big Ben would make a mistake, and the Chiefs would score a bunch of points and blow the game open. It went exactly the way we thought the Steelers game would go, with the Chiefs having, at the start of the second half, 340 yards of offense and the Steelers having 40 340 to 40 yards of offense the most predictable goddamn way the Pittsburgh Steelers lose to the Kansas City Chiefs happened the most predictable way for the Eagles to lose to the Bucks happened and I wish we could have had better teams in the playoffs even if it meant the Chiefs had a greater chance of losing it would have been so much more fun for all of us and while we're here Let's pour one out for Jimmy Garofflesberger. Because Big Ben concludes the two years that shouldn't have happened and set the Steelers franchise back two years. He should have retired after tearing his elbow in 2019. And he concludes these two seasons with truly, truly perfect Big Ben fashion, which is at the time of recording this, which is 10 minutes to go in the third quarter, Big Ben going 5 for 14 for 24 yards and with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter the Kansas City Chiefs outgaining the Pittsburgh Steelers 344 to 44 yards and that's how the NFL changes right in front of your eyes it's the Kansas City Chiefs overwhelming high-powered offense Hall of Famer Ben Roethlisberger 24 yards I know it's the baseball San Francisco Giants anthem, but I love that song and I wanted to use it again and I don't have any transition, so we might as well play the San Francisco Giants 1970s anthem song because it's really good. Um, I get to be kind of wrong about the Trey Lance situation because it's really hard to be a top eight team in the NFL and the San Francisco 49ers are, by that definition, a top eight team in the NFL now. They're going to make it to the second round of the playoffs when they maybe shouldn't have made it to the second round of the playoffs. And they are going to get beat up by the Green Bay Packers next week. But the fact that they're making it to the second round of the playoffs is a huge accomplishment for the San Francisco 49ers. And I had been saying since week one, Trey Lance should have been the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And the 49ers went with Jimmy Garoppolo the whole way through, fought aggressively to get Jimmy Garoppolo back on the field through a ligament getting ripped off of the bone in his thumb. It ends up getting the 
San Francisco 49ers to the playoffs with a miraculous comeback against the Rams where if Jalen Ramsey's one step closer and bats down a pass, the 49ers are going home and the Saints of the team get, uh, or I guess the Eagles of the team getting smacked by the Cowboys and the Saints are losing or at least having a better game versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the, the, the 49ers got in the playoffs and then they beat the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs and now San Francisco gets to go lose against the I guess they go lose against the Packers. That's right, Packers. I said that a second ago. If the 49ers could do it again, do you think they would take Trey Lance? Because I know they don't want to pay Garoppolo's contract, and they gave up the three first-round picks to essentially save like $30 million and get what they think is a franchise quarterback. I still would have started Trey Lance all the way throughout the season because the end result doesn't change the process. I think they would have found out if Trey Lance was their guy by playing him this season. And like we saw with Mac Jones, developing a rookie doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. Now, the 49ers were starting out with Garoppolo, which is a pretty good start to have, and Garoppolo's earned a ton going into the free market this year. I mean, he's not a free agent, but they'll trade him, and he'll get a bunch of money to make some team, to make a Ron Rivera very happy, or to make a Dan Quinn very happy with the Denver Broncos. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo's going to get that kind of money, but Jimmy Garoppolo also didn't reflect anything other than this one playoff win. And I don't want to undersell the value of a playoff win because the Cincinnati Bengals waited 30 goddamn years to have that playoff win. Like, they don't come very often. And the San Francisco 49ers get the best they could have possibly gotten out of this team, this Jimmy Garoppolo situation. They got the very best they possibly could, which is they should have been a wild card exit and they happened to make it to the second round. That is a huge, huge victory for the San Francisco 49ers. They overachieved to expectations this season. And because they overachieved to expectations, it looks a tad bit sillier that I was saying they should have absolutely 100% rolled with Trey Lance the entire season because it's not a zero-sum game here. Like, they could have done the exact same thing with Trey Lance at quarterback if Trey Lance was that dude. If Trey Lance was a special quarterback that they gave up three first-round picks for or at the very least was better than Jimmy Garoppolo as a rookie, the way Joe Burrow had a better season. I mean, this wasn't technically his rookie year, but Joe Burrow played better than any season Jimmy Garoppolo has ever had in his career this year. Both of Justin Herbert's first two seasons were as good as any season Jimmy Garoppolo, or sorry, better than any season Jimmy Garoppolo has ever had in his career. All of these things are true. And at the same time, the 49ers gave up that level of compensation for Trey Lance, hoping that Trey Lance would be cheaper and better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And so I wonder if they're having second or second doubts about this, or maybe they think they chose the plan of, we're going to sit him for the entire season, Jimmy is the guy, and Trey Lance is our development project. And we don't care that we're not going to get a rookie year out of Trey Lance. We hope that Trey Lance is our quarterback for the next decade, and we're okay paying him $40 million four years down the road. We're going to lose a year on his rookie contract. We're going to be able to fit him and Garoppolo both under the cap number, making less than like the average quarterback room in the NFL. Like combine Garoppolo and Lance, that's still only like $28 million. And that's probably like 
10th, I'm guessing, somewhere in the NFL ranks. If you combine quarterback rooms, like Carr and Mariota are, I mean, Mariota made 10 million this year, Carr made 25, so that's higher up there. Like, if you combine the quarterback rooms relative to the rest of the league, they're still paying, like, slightly above average for the two. Trey Lance was probably one of the more expensive backups this year because of how the rookie wage scale works in the NFL, but Trey Lance was still cheaper than even some backup quarterback options. And so the 49ers carried Lance and carried Garoppolo, and their plan could not have worked any better. And if Trey Lance is that dude, they'll pick up right where they left off next season. So I personally would have chosen the Trey Lance, start him from the beginning of the season, find out what he is. I don't know if I would have given up the three first-round picks the 49ers did to go get Trey Lance. Maybe I would have, but it's still a a tricky decision. I think the fact that they're playing the game of Bosa's getting a record-setting extension, Trent Williams is going to make 25 mil a year for the next four years. All like Doing Fred Warner getting a massive contract, George Kittle getting a massive contract, like doing all that analysis in their head, I understand the calculation for getting Lance on the cheap deal for the next four seasons. I'm also just surprised that they didn't want to find out what they had this year and cared so much about making the playoffs this season and putting the best possible team out there if they deemed Jimmy Garoppolo was better than Trey Lance. And if they were able to decipher that from this year, or maybe they said the whole way through it's Garoppolo, 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 Garoppolo. If they said that all the way through, it's better than doing like the halfway thing with Trey Lance because I would have either committed all the way or committed halfway. And if I'm the 49ers, I would have committed all the way to Trey Lance be damned if this team was a core ready to compete for making a playoff spot or the third best team in the NFC West. All of that be damned, I would have gone ahead and tried to figure out if Lance is that dude and if you're going to have a chance to compete for championships for the next five years. I would have chosen a different path, and the path the 49ers chose got the most they could have possibly gotten out of that strategy, which is made the playoffs when again one tipped pass by Jalen Ramsey they don't make the playoffs and this looks I look so much better so all of this comes down to one tipped pass they made the playoffs won a playoff game made it to the final eight teams in the NFL it's a massive victory for a team that is not as good as five of the teams in the NFC were at some point during the season For a team that was barely top 10 in the NFL, probably not top 10 in the NFL, barely top half team in the NFL, somewhere in the 12 range, it's a pretty damn good season. And I still would have started Trey Lance from week one onward because I would have found out if I've got that dude for the next 10 years faster than they're going to go now which is basically just a year faster but even if Trey Lance isn't that dude they still get this fun playoff win to show for it so small victories considering that any day now with the the right combination of bad ownership and bad decisions like giving up three first round picks for a bust quarterback any day your franchise can once again become the irrelevant sad sack that they've been. And the 49ers fans know this better than anyone else because the 49ers went from dynasty of the 80s and 90s to shit in the 2000s to three NFC championships in three years, dynastic run, almost won a Super Bowl, to shit for five years, to we're back in the Super Bowl after finishing dead last in our division. And now they go six and 10 and now they're kind of middle of the road. So 49ers fans know you can 
fluctuate between really good and really shit really fast in the NFL. So at least you have this playoff win to show for it, which it's not a Super Bowl. They tried to put themselves in a Super Bowl winning position by drafting Trey Lance and having the Stars and Scrubs model that, by the way, if Trey Lance is one of those special quarterbacks, 49ers are as good a positioned as anyone to compete for the Super Bowl in the NFC. If Trey Lance is that dude, they can compete with anyone. With that scheme and those defensive players, they can compete with anyone in the NFL if Trey Lance is Justin Herbert, if Trey Lance is Joe Burrow. And I know those are high bars to hit, but the 49ers gave up more to get Trey Lance than the Chargers and the Bengals gave up to get Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. So let's see if it works out for them for the next five years. We'll find out next season, or we'll, we'll begin to find out next season, because 17-game sample size, not a ton for Trey Lance. We'll find out over the next few seasons whether Trey Lance is that dude or not. Slowly but steadily, we'll get a better answer. But I get to look kind of wrong, because I would still pass up this 49ers season to have had 17 or 18 games of watching Trey Lance. And the 49ers are one of the final eight teams in the NFL. And commence to them for being able to make me look kind of silly as the person standing out on an island and saying, Trey Lance from the start, Trey Lance from the start. I didn't really hear anyone else saying Trey Lance from week one onward. I think people kind of got bored of it once it became clear Trey Lance wasn't going to play. But for four months, Trey Lance should have started since week one. Trey Lance should have started since week one. Trey Lance should have started since week one. Yelling it from the rooftops. And now I get to look kind of silly because I would have passed up something that 20 NFL franchises would be dying to have over the past decade, which is a single goddamn playoff victory. Can someone explain to me why Bills fans love throwing dildos on the field? Like, I want to solve this and dissect this a little bit because the question that's been going through my head for, I mean, in and out of my head for the past 20 hours or so is do Buffalo Bills fans multiple bring dildos to games? Does the same person sitting in the same section bring a dildo to every major Bills game? Or at least what it looks like is every Patriots Bills game. If that person is bringing a dildo to every Bills game and throwing it on the field... Which, for those, again, who don't know, because I guess context is a little bit important here, uh, after the Patriots scored their lone touchdown of the 47-10 drubbing against the Bills, a dildo was thrown on the end zone, uh, the left side of the end zone, which is about the same place that multiple times now dildos have been thrown on the field. One time was in a Patriots-Bills game back in 2017, I want to say. It was back when Gronk was still on the Patriots. And then there was another one, I think, three years ago that was thrown on the field. And then there, we haven't really heard from the dildo throwers in a while. I believe, if I remember correctly, this is the third time dildos have been thrown in the end zone of the Buffalo Bills stadium. And now, back to the caper that we're figuring out. If we assume that this is the same person coming to every game with new dildos, Is this person a season ticket holder? If this person is a season ticket holder, how many 
thousands of dollars are they paying for those up and front row seats? And if they are paying thousands of dollars for those up and front row seats in Buffalo, are they then also deciding every single time that they go to risk losing said season tickets by throwing dildos on the field not once, not twice, but I believe at least three times. We've counted at least three times dildos have been thrown on the field. Did he get a stern warning the last time that he threw dildos on the field? And so he had to stop for three years? Because Buffalo had multiple playoff games last year in Buffalo. They played the Baltimore Ravens in what was a really, really fun playoff game last year where Lamar Jackson threw a pick six, and that was the difference between those two teams, was one Lamar Jackson pick six. And... It was really, really fun last season to watch that, and it was really cool to watch them play the Colts, and the Colts coulda, shoulda, woulda beat them in the wild card last year, and then they didn't, and it ended up going, like, Buffalo got two home games last year. Why was the dildo thrower not there for those two? Why is it now multiple Patriots and Bills games? Is there something intentional with doing it against the Patriots? Or what if this is multiple dildo throwers, and in the event there are multiple dildo throwers on the field for the Buffalo Bills, are the Buffalo Bills changing dildo throwers as a way to throw off the security at the stadium from stopping them and kicking them out of the stadium? And if someone gets kicked out of the stadium, do they then pass off and I don't know if dildo throwers get banned from games. You know, the, the Cowboys threw all kinds of stuff on the field this week. I assume nobody's getting banned from the stadium. But if you can figure out who the dildo thrower is, do they then have to anoint a new dildo thrower who who sits next to them? Do multiple people bring in dildos in the event that one gets confiscated by the TSA? Where do you store a dildo? Or not TSA, whatever the security is at the front of the stadium. Where do you hide a dildo? Because I remember when the Nashville Predators were going through their run of success when they made the Stanley Cup, I want to say 2018. I know they lost to the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. It was either 2017 or 2018 when Nashville was going to the Stanley Cup. When they made their run to the Stanley Cup, people brought in catfish by sticking them in their crotches as a way to sneak into the stadium undetected by the security camera so if fans bringing dildos into formerly ralph wilson stadium i forgot what it's called now it was new era stadium and the new era dropped out i forgot what the bills stadium title sponsor is highmark stadium if highmark stadium security is checking bags for dildos are people using their assholes to store dildos that they intend to throw on the field? In which case, was that a used dildo that was thrown on the field against the New England Patriots while the Buffalo Bills were dominating in a playoff game? Were the other dildos also used? Are you buying a surplus of dildos in the event that you don't use it? Did you shove a dildo in your butt to get into a football game that you did not throw on the field? Because I have to say, if you have the restraint to get it into the stadium and then you don't throw it because a touchdown doesn't happen in that corner of the end zone, because again, all three were in the left corner of the end zone for the Buffalo Bills. I think it's the right end zone based on the camera angle, all in the same part of the same end zone. If you are shoving a dildo in your butt as a way to sneak into the stadium and you're not throwing it on the field, why? 
Are you doing this for every game and you've only had three instances if you are the same person? These are all questions that we have no answers for, and yet we can only assume the best, worst, and funniest possible outcomes all coexisting at the exact same time. So if you have any information on the Buffalo Bills dildo throwers or Buffalo Bills dildo jammers, or people who have bought season tickets to the Buffalo Bills and continuously throw dildos on the field, please let us know. We interviewed the Oscar the Grouch guy at the Angels games who was banging on the trash cans. We've interviewed people who have done all sorts of dumb stuff. Let's see if we can find information and dissect and answer some of these important questions about the dildo thrower at the Buffalo Bills game because I've been moving I've been mulling on this for about 20 hours here and I'd like to know some of the answers to these questions. Is it the same person? Do they purchase season tickets? Are they at risk of their season tickets getting revoked? These are really good seats. How much are they paying for season tickets? How do they get the dildo into the game? Are they shoving dildos up their buttholes as a way to sneak dildos into the game? Are we throwing used dildos on the field at Ralph Wilson Stadium? And if we are, why are we using used dildos as a way to distract New England Patriots players? Which, by the way, The time Gronk was on the team was probably very effective because I imagine Gronk saw that on the field and just started bursting into laughter. When he saw a dildo sitting in the end zone, he probably just burst into laughter in the aftermath. So I'd like many of these questions and more answered. If you have any other information, please let us know so that we can continue to dissect this Buffalo Bills dildo caper. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Memes of the Weekend podcast. Seriously, thank you for stopping in to the Memes of the Weekend podcast here. Uh, to close out here, we finish usually with our Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, but we don't have awards actually handed out for the Wild Card Weekend. But I'd like to give a nod to Derek Carr and Dak Prescott, who both spent their Wild Card Weekends in Kirk Cousins' purgatory, a.k.a. Philip Rivers' purgatory. Derek Carr got within 13 yards of winning the game, and Dak Prescott got within 25 yards of winning the game. So I give both of them credit and commend them for their efforts in navigating through Kirk Cousins' purgatory. We don't have an official award for it, but congratulations to both of them for their wonderful award recipient, their wonderful contributions to the Philip Rivers Purgatory Camp. It's always fun when players end up down eight, no timeouts, length of the field, and one minute, or 30 seconds in the case of Dak Prescott, left to go. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here. Uh, Again, really reluctantly, thank you for stopping in to this week's Memes of the Weekend podcast. Uh, Yeah, Uh, We said dildo approximately 12 times, and I think that was about the number that I was shooting for when we began this conversation. So thank you, everybody, for stopping in. Take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Make sure to check out NFL Monday and Wired Up for all of your serious, or at least more serious, wildcard weekend analyses. Take it easy, y'all.